Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica and Heidi. We're a team composed of one black woman and one white woman, coming from different backgrounds, but united in friendship. We provide a forum for discussion and action around racial repair, reconstruction, and eventually reconciliation. We are passionate advocates for treating all humanity with love and respect. We contend that hosting conversations gives us an opportunity to develop relationships and engage with our community to create joint, achievable, and long-lasting solutions together. We invite everyone to come to the table for these podcast discussions, but know that the expressed opinions and perspectives of our guests are their own. It's Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica and Heidi. And we're here on a, what night of the week is this? Thir- Thursday, Thursday night. It's pretty chilly. I think it's, it's chilly. trying to become. It's later. We're a little giddy. We'll yeah. see how it goes today. Yeah. Uh, but Sans we, coffee. Oh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> we have a, a really um, unique and wonderful guest tonight. Her name is Dr. Michelle Rays. And she is my friend from a writer's guild that we're a part of. It's a national, actually international writer's guild where... It's women of faith that have come together to write on faith and culture. And so we met through that online, and then we've met in person as well at a retreat. And I love her voice. Um, she's very active in what she posts on Facebook about immigration and race and culture. And her and her husband are actually co-posting a lot, um, but I see hers. And so she is. Um, graciously agreed to come on tonight and speak with us about some of these hot topics and what her experience is. She brings unique background and perspective. So um, her formal introduction is that she is a church planter, a pastor's wife, an author, a speaker, and an activist. She has a master's in contemporary German-Jewish literature and a PhD in 18th century German literature from the University of Illinois at Chicago 
with a focus on folklore, storytelling, and narrative justice. So she writes and she speaks on justice, culture, faith, and identity uh, within full-time vocational ministry. She also is the founder and editor of The Art of Taylor, a Christian collective where diverse voices can come together to thoughtfully dialogue about the details of God's Word. She's appeared in Christianity Today, Encourage, and Think Christian, among others. She lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and two kids. Welcome, Michelle. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Love what you guys are doing. Yeah, thanks. Um, we Would you... So I gave the canned intro, but can you give a little bit more background on your heritage and tell us who you really are, yeah. Michelle? Tell us the off-paper oh. version. <laughs> my my secret life. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. So I am a bicultural Indian American woman. I was born in South Carolina, so I was I was born here in the U.S., raised in the U.S., um, but my mom was an immigrant to this country. She came here in the 70s. And so I am second gen immigrant, um, which is just really interesting in so many different ways of navigating um, just a lot of big issues, whether it's um, identity or my relationship to this country or even just approaches to how to handle racism and and, and, and whatnot. Um, there's so many differences between first-gen immigrants, first-gen Indian immigrants and their kids. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Hassan Minaj. He's a comedian on Netflix. Oh, and yeah. yeah. I just <laughs> love his stuff. It's so good. I, I feel like every time I listen to him, I'm like, this yeah, is my story. You can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So much. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because, um, like, for example, just my relationship with my mom, her being an older generation, um, long story short for her, she actually grew up in an Indian village, was born and raised in an Indian village in Uganda, Africa. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. the, so the British brought a lot of Indians to their um, colonies in Africa to build the railroad, mm-hmm. and it just took long enough that people started having families and starting villages and just once the railroad was done they stayed um so she grew up there but had to flee when Idi Amin took power and basically waged a genocide against mm. the Indians in Uganda and uh, many fled back to to Britain um some went to England or into India and and some came here um, so my mom has had to deal with racism and even threats of genocide from, from a young age. Hmm. Um, then she came to America and had to deal with racism in the U.S., um, South Carolina. I mean, it's just, it's like how it, it couldn't get any worse right. than going to South right. Carolina. Yep. Um, I, when she, when she was in labor with me, my, 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 husband, my dad hadn't gotten to the hospital yet. And they put her in like this back room and nobody wanted to go in. Like the doctors and nurses refused to care for her. Um, and my dad was on, was, was in the air force. He was like trying to get off base to get to the hospital. And, um, did, did you like, tell us Michelle if your dad it, was white? He, so he's white. Yeah. He's, he's white. got okay. British and, uh, English heritage, but he got oh to the gosh. hospital and like, was like somebody like get in here <laughs> and mm. take care of my wife she's about to have a baby and so um 
so, you know, it's, she's had all these experiences of racism her whole life. Um, and for her, a lot of like what Hassan Minaj talks about, just like being in this country and recognizing that her life is better here than it was in Uganda, Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, just be grateful to be here and be a good Christian and love and forgive and just kind of keep your head down and work hard <laughs> and just, you know, um, don't complain. And so mm-hmm. I think oftentimes when, when I then talk about racism that I'm experiencing or just some of the pains of um, you know, shame or, or being made fun of or feeling rejected because of cross-cultural relationships not going well. She's like, I mean, she doesn't put it in these ways, but she's like, hey, I survived the genocide. You, right. can, you can handle a verbal insult. Right. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting um, kind of navigating these, these histories mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and the generation that I am. And also what's crazy is just knowing like my kids um, having also married a Mexican American, and now my kids are like part Indian, part Mexican, mm-hmm. part American, whatever that means, and like their experiences, their journeys, is going to be so be different, different, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, just in the same way that my journey has been different than my mom's, and so um, yeah, that's a lot of like just mm-hmm. some of the personal stuff that I'm na- navigating. Um, so is that what I, I, I'm? Yeah. Is that what makes you so passionate? Because I see a lot of passion as you're posting. Is it, mm. is it that history? Is it what the pain yeah. you've seen in people? Is it trying to reconcile the way you think people should be living out their faith and how it, it looks different? Sorry, we're getting a call, but we stopped it. You're yeah. Still, okay. Um, <laughs> this is this is like life, right? Right, you know, right. We just, this is we what just happens. Roll with things. Just keep going. <laughs> so yeah, I want to I want to know what informs your passion. Your your history makes you know a yeah. lot of sense about right. the diversity there. Why you'd want to speak on a lot of these issues, but mm, what's informing mm-hmm. your passion? Yeah, well, I mean that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I think if, I also grew up in. So I was born in South Carolina. I grew up in Minnesota, though, which is like. Swedish, Scandinavian territory. Um, like literally every single person I knew was fair skinned, blonde haired, blue yeah, eyed. Yeah. And, and, wow. uh, you know, what's weird is, and I wouldn't have said it this way, but I felt like I grew up in part thinking I was white. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't have s- said it in that way, but it wasn't until I graduated from college that I started to really think about all of the, disconnects I've had with people over the years and starting to realize this is not just a personality difference. Like, mm. this, like there are, there are cultural influences at work and starting to like begin that uh, journey of cultural identity development. Who am I? What does it mean to be Indian American? Um, that, that was a big part of just like exploring what that means. Um, and then also my husband and I uh, being church planters here in East Austin, which is a predominantly African-American and uh, Latino community. Um, like our, I feel like when it comes to social or just justice work, um, every person I know who's passionate about justice has encountered suffering so deeply mm-hmm. and so personally that it's lit this fire inside of them and, and so, yeah, there's my own personal background, but just also um, my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, our church is a predominantly minority church. Immigrants 
undocumented, um, predominantly Latino, but also uh, Asian American, African American, uh, and even uh, some Caribbean as as well. And just uh, knowing their stories, knowing their pains, um, uh, like our neighborhoods, like ice raids take place in our neighborhoods, Mm. right? So we're dealing with that. We're dealing with um, shootings, domestic terrorism. Our, our ministry focuses a lot on um, mass incarceration, drug cartels. We have, we've got single moms with eight kids. Um, wow. And so for me, like, what I'm trying to do is hold the Bible in one hand and the reality of the streets in the other mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. try to do something beautiful for God in my life, just wanting to make a difference. And in part, that means caring for individuals, but it also means confronting unjust systems. Mm. Isn't that the truth? Right, right. Wow. We're both just kind of speechless over here. Just the diversity of your background is so incredible. And then just where you've landed and the potential ministry you have. And to hear a voice like this coming out of the church in a time. So our listeners, as you know, Michelle, aren't, we're not of, in our Bridge the Divide work, we don't push any one religion Mm -hmm. we invite people of all faiths Mm -hmm. and in our podcast same but we also are exploring the idea of how faith impacts um, your view of race Mm -hmm. and culture and so we thought you'd be the perfect guest um, to be a part of that series and Mm. um, yeah so I want to take some time we're we're running out of time for our first segment, but I want to get this question before we go to break. Um, just how in your Christianity, um, you know, you, you have a lot of Christians ask you why we should care so much about culture. And with that, I would, you know, say race or issues of injustice. If we're all in Christ, you know, Erica and I have seen it. Just, just put it aside. It's an old issue. Let mm-hmm. it go. Let's just move forward. We don't need to look backward. Um, so people say that to you. Um, so what what is the relationship between faith and culture, and why why do you think it matters? Yeah, well, I'll try to be brief, but that's a loaded question. She is a PhD, a so we need we need uh, thirty minutes on on the one question, right? <laughs> Oh, man. Well, so my first comment is that we need to define culture because mm-hmm. as as I have conversations with people, when I talk to white Christians about culture, they're referring to pop culture. Like in mm-hmm. their mind, their understanding of culture is things of this world, media, technology, music, yeah. mm-hmm. fill in the blank. And so for right. them, when they're thinking of culture, the emphasis is on how to be in the world, but not of the world, right. which is a good discussion for us to be having as Christians. But for minority Christians, when we're talking about culture, we're talking about ethnic identity. Mm-hmm. We're talking about cultural, like my cultural background as an Indian American woman and my brown skin and the values I hold and the things that make me culturally unique. But I think this is the problem then is when white Christians and people of color are trying to talk about faith and culture, we're like missing each other mm-hmm. um, because so many have this concept of culture as other or non-religious or something that threatens to morally compromise us. And so that when we come in and say, hey, let's talk about cultural identity <laughs> as right. ethnicity and ethnic expression, it's, it's like put in this category of like some liberal secular agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that stops think, a lot of conversations. Yeah, it yeah. really it really can. Yeah. It, I've, I've had people just really just stop like we're not going to talk about 
about that because you shouldn't be, like you said before, uh, you know, of the world and that's all that cultural stuff and, and your identity is in Christ only and and we can't talk about anything else. And it, mm-hmm. and it stops conversations. Yeah. You can't get to anywhere. I can't get to, we've talked before about lament. Mm-hmm. I can't get to where I feel like you you are grieving with me when I give you something that's that's hurt me and I tell you about it. You're not grieving with me because, well, you shouldn't yeah. be concerned about that stuff mm-hmm. anyway. Oh, yeah, okay. absolutely. Well, thanks. So we're, we're <laughs> lacking this robust sort of theology of race and cult- or just culture and mm-hmm. ethnic identity that, that is all the way through scripture. Um, and yeah, I think having, you know, I'm speaking as a pastor's wife, but having pastors like just, refuse to touch on any of this from the pulpit and from within the church also kind of creates the separation of like, this is what we do as Christians and this is what we do outside of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also hear that verse from Galatians 3.28 quoted a lot, this, this idea that there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male nor female, for mm-hmm. we are all one in Christ Jesus. And people say that to me a lot too, of like, mm-hmm. I think you talk too much about cultural difference than the fact that we're all in Christ. Um, and I, I honestly just think that's a wrong reading of this Bible verse and others like it, because Paul, the Apostle Paul was never trying to negate culture here. Um, his point is actually about the divisions between Gentiles and Jews and calling us to find unity and peace among each other. But I, I also think the people using this verse in this way are, are coming from monocultural communities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is when we only, as Christians even, when we only have friends of the same ethnic background, we're not reminded in any way that our life has a cultural construct. <laughs> so in many ways, monoculturalism breeds this false narrative that we're void of cultural distinctives. Mm. Um, and that, and that's really what causes us to lose perspective on who God has made us as cultural beings. Mm. Um, so I just say, you know, you got, we got to have a robust theology for God creating diverse peoples and cultures. Um, and we need to mm. learn how to develop our own cultural identities um, and appreciate others as well. Ooh. This is very important for us as Christians. Um, we need to dig into that more. Right. Let's go to a break and we'll be back with Michelle in a second. Michelle, you were talking about um, the a, a, a culture that's just everybody kind of looks the same. I always add in people kind of have had the same experiences, life experiences. They bring they bring baggage from you know their growing up years, but typically it's the same baggage. You know, so it's it's really I think that there is that we've talked about that for our community that that we love our community but that you're missing something when you lack other cultures, other ethnicities, other races involved in a a day-to-day basis. The children don't see people that look Mm -hmm. different from them or that, that it's just, it's a a loss. I, I feel like it's a loss for the community to not have the, 
not I don't want to throw out the diversity word because you know it's a, a key word and you can just say it diversity mm-hmm. bam we fixed it mm-hmm. um but but that you're missing things and that it's so it's very difficult to have the meaningful authentic relationships which I think lead to more understanding if you're in an area that it just doesn't mm-hmm. the the other whoever you're othering isn't there so you can you can miss it on purpose but you can miss it just because the proximity isn't there and you've just missed out. So I think that it's a, a yeah. loss. Um, it's, a, it's a loss of understanding of others. And it's a loss of, to me, the big picture of who God is. If mm-hmm. you have just a little slice of the picture. Right. Because I've lived so many places in the country, both of us have. Mm-hmm. Really, the way people live out their faith depends even... On the city, like mm-hmm. in New York, it looks one way. In the Midwest, it looks another way. Mm-hmm. In Denver, it looks another way. And so just having that perspective, I, I see God in a different way, let alone throughout the entire world or mm-hmm. a whole entire race. Like what? And so I, I am saddened. I'm, I lament um, our lack of diversity here because I know I'm missing out mm-hmm. on greater perspective. And so that's, I mean, one yeah. thing in my faith that, that I, that I think about, but is, are there other things, Michelle, um, as people wrestle with their own cultural identity or not being in proximity to people of other cultural identities? Um, do you have more to add there? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, one of the things I just wanted to stress was that I mean, so people are obviously all across the spectrum. And, like, we have people from, you know, racist to um, Mm anti-racist. And so, you know, I I think in many ways our message isn't necessarily to people who are just openly (laughs) racist. Like, we can't change everybody. But I think there's this huge spectrum of of Christians in the middle who wouldn't, like, they don't, like, they, they say that they value diversity, and they wouldn't think of themselves as racist, you know, that they feel that they're sensitive to issues of culture, and they value having people of different ethnicities at the table. Um, but they're also, like, and I'm saying we, because, like, I've experienced this personally myself, too. Like, we, we say we want diversity, but then something happens. We, we dip into the pool of cross-cultural relationships, and all of a sudden we're like, Uh-oh. okay, now I feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know? that's true. And, um, you know, so, someone says something or does something in a way that just rubs us the wrong way, and then all of a sudden we're pulling out. We're, like, not going to do that again. You know, like, okay, we, we gave it a shot. We're done. And I so you know, I wanted to just kind of touch on that because a lot of people, they're in that category of just mm-hmm. everything feels uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. feeling uncomfortable is also then the justification to just, to just give um, up on it. quit mm-hmm. <laughs> or give up mm-hmm. in a sense. Right. And so, um, I think this is actually very, uh, this is something that Christians need to consider more. And we see this played out in scripture in terms of God's the, the identity of God's people in the Old Testament under the Mosaic Covenant, where everyone had to become like the people of God, right? Like there was very clear standards, rules, boundaries. If you want to be God's people, you have to do this, this, and this. Um, but now, on this side of the cross, under the New Covenant, what does Jesus do in his sort of incarnational model? He goes, he changes who he is and goes to others. And the, and, and Paul does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9, mm. right? He says... 
I became all things to all people to win some. Um, and for us as Christians, this side of the cross, like we are supposed to embrace that discomfort mm. and adapt and transform ourselves to bring the good news of Jesus to people in their context. Um, in many ways, our Christian identity should be defined by being malleable, um, and we should be asking ourselves, how much are we willing to forbear mm. in order to reach people for Christ? How much are we willing to change in order to reach Christ? Um, not not how much can we sort of, like, resist change. change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a really... Or change the other person. That's really yeah. beautiful. Which has a lot of implications. Yeah. <laughs> anything from, like like you guys were mentioning about just the, the role of the American flag within church buildings to just how a worship service on a Sunday morning is mm-hmm. conducted, to even just throughout the week, different people's uh, cultural lenses interpreting scripture. Like we need to embrace discomfort in all of these different um, spaces. And I, I, th- I think something that comes up for me often is, so as a black female, mm. I am kind of, used to being uncomfortable hmm. only oh. because it it's it, and I'm not trying to be like a sacrificial lamb out here or anything but you know it yeah it it always feels like I have to give mm-hmm. I I need to give mm-hmm. in order to make something happen I have to do this okay well you're not going to get what you want okay I guess I have to so I'm I'm always bearing the the discomfort um the the disappointment okay well you can't get what you want Mm -hmm. whatever nuance is missed it's gonna you know it's gonna fall on you or you're gonna miss out and it's it's almost a generational thing like that's that's how it happened that's our life this is the life of the black woman this is how it's gonna be Um. and you can the choice then to to do the speaking truth to power to Mm -hmm. to change it it's also uncomfortable, but even more so because then what am I going to lose? How much, how much am I willing yeah. to go out and say something to disrupt the system the way mm-hmm. it is now knowing, okay, well, I'm really going to lose big. So there are times when yeah. I feel like I, Absolutely. this is where I want someone else to go out and put some skin right. in the game. So I don't have to lose something this time. Like, isn't mm-hmm. it somebody else's turn to be, uncomfortable and lose something can I not lose how about I stand here (laughs) and not lose anything and somebody else go out there and get you know beat up a little bit and then I'll come in and help and then I can stand back and relax but I think that's I don't know how in the context of the church the the thought of allyship that's how Mm -hmm. that feels sometimes to me like somebody else can come along and take a couple of the hits so I can rest a little bit Mm -hmm. that was just something that that I thought about while we were talking Absolutely, because you're right, there's always a cost. Mm-hmm. Diving into these uh, discussions, being vulnerable, there's there's always a cost, particularly for minorities. So I, I hear you. I've experienced that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's an easy, to be honest, there's no easy answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 for when we're having these discussions of like malleability and embracing discomfort, it's, 
the, the, the practical application for white people and people of color is going to be different, right? Because right. one yeah. is coming from yeah. this That's position what I'm of here privilege thinking. and power. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and, and for, for white people, I mean, my, my challenge to them is, um, particularly for, for people who have never crossed into someone else's culture before, like this practice will be hard and it's yeah. going to require humility and you're not going to be in control and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be willing to learn and see things, not necessarily as right and wrong, but as different, different. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we're not imposing cultural imperialism on, on, on people. Um, and for, for, for people of color, like myself or for you, or just for, for so many of us who our whole world is spent navigating other people's cultures. Um, I, I get it. I, even for me, sometimes as I think about this, I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just giving up more of myself, right? I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm giving up my, giving up my authenticity, giving up my identity. Right. Um, and I think, I think those are real, uh, real, real fears, real, real threats. And mm-hmm. so, um, to, to, and, and I also know I have friends who are also just saying, I'm done. I'm, I'm done right. explaining mm-hmm. culture to yep. white people. Yeah. Um, I'm burnt out. And so I, I'll just say this. There is a need for self-care. There yeah. is a need for taking care of yourself in this, um, in this space and finding forgiveness and healing. And, yeah, not, mm-hmm. not overextending yourself and burning yourself out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Good words, Michelle. Mm-hmm. We have to go to uh, our last break, and then we'll be back with Michelle in a few minutes. So we're going to go there. Are we? We're gonna go. Are we gonna do it? Woo! Yes. <laughs> We're gonna talk about how to deconstruct white evangelicalism from your faith and why that's a good thing. We're gonna do it out loud. We're gonna say it out loud. Here on the radio. And it's All gonna right, be let's recorded. Do it. Woo. So we'll start with Michelle mm-hmm. and then we can <laughs> Right. Let's... No pressure, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I recognize this conversation scares a lot of people because um, we hear deconstructing evangelicalism and we think someone is leaving the faith, right? Yeah, right. Um, but that's that's not what I mean. I'll just I'll just put it this way: when I talk about deconstruction, um, well, let me just give you first a, de- a definition. Here's how I define um, the word deconstruct. So, to deconstruct means to disconnect the pieces of a system in order to expose its internal assumptions and, con- and contradictions. Mm. So, so destruction in and of itself is never the goal, but deconstructing a system is a useful tool in order to, for us to reduce and cut back to our, our, our basic parts so we can figure out how to improve things, right? So mm-hmm. deconstruction and, and reconstruction mm-hmm. always go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and honestly, I think this is what we see in the Bible. The, the history of God's people is this recurring life cycle of deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm-hmm. You have the Israelites turning to sin, God giving them opportunity to repent, but the one they refuse to listen time and time again, mm-hmm. um, the opportunity for reform comes to an end and dismantling becomes the necessary Recourse, and this is what we see when they go into the wilderness, when they go into exile. That God is literally stripping them bare of mm-hmm. their sins 
and then bringing them back to rebuild. And so um, for, for me, I, I think that's really important because when we talk about deconstructing evangelicalism, what I think it's important for us to recognize is that we have pieces and, and influences on our faith that are dangerous, that are hurtful, that are sinful even, and mm-hmm. we need to kind of strip down to realize where those things are to, to, to get rid of them. Um, we need to consider the ways in which we confuse the values of the Bible with the values of America, mm-hmm. yes. or the yeah. ways in which talking about ding, ding, God ding. and country can be sinful. Mm. Um, we need to consider the ways in which white is the default in our churches and in our readings of scripture and in our even in our evangelism. Um, and part of how we do this, right, is is listening more to each other, realizing that maybe some of the books on our shelves written by white Christians need to be removed and books by uh, POC Christians need to be added along with podcasts and interviews and music. Like we need to make room for true diversity, mm-hmm. equal expressions of cultures um, and removing cultural imperialism. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about um, deconstruction. Mm. Oh, is that all? I don't know if that's oh, okay. helpful. Yeah. <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> Sure. And, and yeah. well, when, when you say, you know, you talk about things that are all wrapped in it, all wrapped up together. So when you're starting to deconstruct it, that it feels you talked about the exposure mm-hmm. that the person feels so exposed mm-hmm. and attacked. Yeah. And and it's so hard to say it's not. No, I am not attacking you. No, I'm not, you know, laying you bare so I can laugh or, you know, dance around your pain. But it needs to happen to get to the root of it for the rebuilding to occur. You can't half take down the building. You implode it halfway and then start building Mm -hmm. on top of it. You got to take it all the way down. But when the other person is already scared worried hurt and then this happens so then if 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 you can't have that conversation about how it's going to feel like in preparation and then they run away okay so now what so how how do you do that in a loving manner we're always talking about loving each other well Mm -hmm. how do how do i lovingly take you down to where you need to be (laughs) exposed and then build you back up Mm. yeah yeah that's so good um I think it, what I've learned in my own conversations with people is to always start with uh, affirmations mm-hmm. um, to to affirm people to see I, I see your heart or I see the good that you're doing because mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes when we just come out of the races with just like the, like this is wrong and this is wrong and this right. is wrong it, right. it, it is it is hard for people right. to hear I I think if somebody just walked up to me and started criticizing me I'd have a hard time listening right. to them too, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. But if someone is like, hey, I see you, I see the good work that you're doing, and I'm coming to you to just talk about this issue, right? Like a one-at-a-time kind of approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, speak love first, and then um, the, 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 the criticism, if, if you will. Uh, I, I think that, all, that approach goes well mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, another, but, but you're right. It's always exhausting. It's it's yeah. It's another thing, process. another thing that that I I think of in this conversation is helping people like construct an apology because mm. we've mm-hmm. talked sometimes about the art of the apology, so that 
Yeah. I, I'm taking things down, taking off some of the layers, learning, oh boy, I made a mistake. And not now I run and go. Like the how do you how do you construct an apology that is I am working on this. I'm I made this mistake. I'm truly sorry or that's not what I meant, you know, to to stay in that place of healing and and love, but oh, I didn't get that right this time. I made a mistake and this is how we keep going on on the road to reconstruction. How what do you do you have ways have you do you have to teach people that? How do you mm. do that? Mm, yeah. Because it has to be oh, sincere. Man. It does have to be sincere. <laughs> See, you can't just demand one. So. Right, yeah. right. And you can't, you can't, yeah. you can't have all or nothing either. Yeah. If you're with me, you would know better, and yeah. you wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. You know how it, it seems like people need to, you know, practice. You script things that you're trying to practice and get good at. How would you help somebody know how to recognize the mistake, apologize for it? Because again. If you're if you're always getting beat up and always carrying the burden, then it's not this quick forgiveness. I know you didn't mean that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry yeah. about it. don't. You yeah. know what? Worry about it. You, <laughs> you should be worried about it. You, <laughs> you, you messed up. And and how do you yeah. apologize and keep and stay in it as opposed to you just, know what? We're running. I think that we need to teach therapeutic communication in the church. I'm almost, I'm not really joking because as I sit here and listen and think about this, as nurses, Mm -hmm. we're trying to understand another's perspective, judgment free to help them heal. It's it's supposed to be therapeutic. And so if we can listen to people and set aside our own fears and it's Mm -hmm. not about us and hear their story and their narrative, it, it prompts a heart apology like if you know in medicine if we do something wrong mm-hmm. we apologize mm-hmm. because we know for one thing it's going to de-escalate people's anger right. Right. it's the right thing to do they right. won't sue us but, right but as a christian or as a person of faith or even as a good person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you would think that if you're listening to hear and to understand that that apology would follow mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know yeah yeah absolutely i i was just going to add to that that um i never like go into a conversation with like the goal of having somebody apologize i mean that would be nice Mm -hmm. but like my my um my first goal is always to help cultivate people to be better listeners like Mm -hmm. like heidi was saying Mm -hmm. is um to hear like hear my story let's just start there let's hear believe um and uh and and i think once you can get people to a point of listening and hearing and, hearing, and yeah. cultivating empathy uh, for another perspective on reality yeah. outside of their own. I, yeah. I, I think, I mean, we hope then that um, that's what they would cultivate. I, oh, I'm so sorry that you've gone through this or that I've played a role in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we have to start with, with, with stories and listening. It's learning to see other people instead of, going through life protecting yourself right, and, right. and yeah. clinging to cert- certainty mm-hmm. and and a new perspective doesn't make you right a, a bad person or or take away who you are and mm-hmm. what your experiences have, have, have been but it's still a new perspective yeah. there 
Imagine mm-hmm. that you've heard everybody's perspective, that you know everything. There's it's not a possibility. There's a different perspective out there. Mm. There's always Amen, more to Erica. learn. Mm-hmm. There's always more to learn. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's more yeah. humanity to see. And the less right. we live in fear, the more open and vulnerable we can be to being changed ourselves mm-hmm. and to to leading in vulnerability. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have right. to be right. right. Um, we can hear other people's ideas and, and stories and understand that we'll all be better for it. Right. Honestly. I think that's a big thing. That it's not it's not do it for that person so they'll feel better. It's we would all be better for it if right. we could, if we could do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. We, we like are it. running out of time. <laughs> um, There's never enough time. We should talk to our producer about that. Especially with the brain like we got on the phone here. <laughs> I really, I really we enjoy. We need six parts for Michelle. Yeah. We'll bring you back for part two and two through five. Enjoy your your thoughtfulness great. and your perspective. Sounds, sounds great. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so oh, much. Well, thank you guys for having me. Really enjoyed talking with you guys too. This is good stuff. Good conversations that we need to be having in this country. Right. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Michelle. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and any program ideas. Spoken word artist Propaganda states, we need to consider the waters we swim in. Maybe it's not toxic to me, but it's toxic to my neighbor. And if it's toxic to my neighbor, it's probably toxic to me too. Let's breathe better water. Contact us on our website at www.bridgethedivide.life. You can email us info at bridgethedivide.life. Or reach us on social media. Facebook is Bridge the Divide Community. And on Instagram, it's Bridge the Divide Podcast. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com